This is Unsung History, the podcast where we discuss people and events in American history that haven't always received a lot of attention. I'm your host, Kelly Therese Pollack. I'll start each episode with a brief introduction to the topic and then talk to someone who knows a lot more than I do. Be sure to subscribe to Unsung History on your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. And please, Tell your friends, family, neighbors, colleagues, maybe even strangers to listen to. On this episode, we're discussing W.E.B. Du Bois and his attempts to make sense of World War I and the participation of Black soldiers in the war. William Edward Burghardt Du Bois was born on February 23, 1868, in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. After his father deserted the family, Du Bois was raised by his mother, Mary Sylvina, whose family was part of the small, free black population of the town. After graduating from high school, Du Bois attended historically black Fisk University in Nashville from 1885 to 1888, where he first experienced Southern racism. After graduating from Fisk, Du Bois studied for another undergraduate degree at Harvard University, graduating with a B.A. cum laude in 1890, followed by a Master of Arts in 1891 and a Ph.D. in History in 1895 making Du Bois the first black person to earn a Ph.D. at Harvard, with a dissertation entitled The Suppression of the African Slave Trade to the United States of America, 1638-1870. Starting in 1897, Du Bois was a professor at Atlanta University, where he wrote prolifically including his widely influential 1903 publication, The Souls of Black Folks. In 1905, Du Bois led the creation of the Niagara Movement, in opposition to the accommodationist stance of Booker T. Washington. The Niagara Movement's Declaration of Principles stated, quote, We refuse to allow the impression to remain that the Negro American, a sense to inferiority, is submissive under oppression and apologetic before insults. Persistent manly agitation is the way to liberty, and toward this goal, the Niagara Movement has started and asks the cooperation of all men of all races. Unquote. In 1909, in response to horrific racial violence, in an August 1908 riot in Springfield, Illinois, a group of white liberals and African Americans, including Du Bois, formed the NAACP with a mission to eliminate race prejudice and ensure political and educational equality. In 1910, Du Bois, as the NAACP's Director of Publicity and Research, established its publication, The Crisis, which he also edited. By 1920, 
the circulation of the crisis had reached 100,000. On June 28, 1914, Austrian Archduke Franz Ferdinand, heir to the Austrian throne, and his wife Sophie, Duchess of Hohenberg, were assassinated by a Bosnian Serb, Gavrilo Princip. A month later, on July 28, after diplomacy had failed, Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia. By August 5th, Germany, Russia, Luxembourg, France, Belgium, and Great Britain had joined the fray. On September 5th, Russia, France, and Great Britain signed the Treaty of London, becoming the Allied Powers. In May 1915, while the United States tried to avoid entering the war, Du Bois, who had spent time studying in Germany while in graduate school, wrote a piece for the Atlantic called The African Roots of War, in which he argued, quote, The present world war is then the result of jealousies engendered by the recent rise of armed national associations of labor and capital whose aim is the exploitation of the wealth of the world, mainly outside the European circle of nations. Unquote. In 1916, Democratic President Woodrow Wilson ran for re-election against the Republican candidate, former Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, Charles Evans Hughes, with Wilson's campaign touting the slogan, quote, he kept us out of war, unquote. Wilson won the election and was inaugurated to his second term on Sunday, March 4th, 1917. By April 6th, 1917, Congress had declared war on the German Empire after Germany's repeated attacks on American passenger and merchant ships. During the course of the war, over 350,000 African-American soldiers joined the effort. But the U.S. armed forces remained segregated. Civil rights groups fought the segregation to no avail. In Iowa, African-Americans trained at Fort Des Moines, with more than 600 of them commissioned as captains and lieutenants in October 1917. Echoing Frederick Douglass's call during the Civil War for black men to, quote, rise up in the dignity of our manhood and show by our own right arms that we are worthy to be free men, unquote. Some civil rights activists encouraged black men to fight in the Great War as a vehicle for gaining respect and equality. Despite his usually pacifist stance, Du Bois was swept up in the same hope. Writing, controversially, in the 1918 edition of The Crisis, quote, We of the colored races have no ordinary interest in the outcome. That which the German power represents today spells death to the aspirations of Negroes and all darker races for equality freedom, and democracy. Let us not hesitate. Let us, while this war lasts, 
forget our special grievances, and close our ranks, shoulder to shoulder, with our own white fellow citizens and the allied nations that are fighting for democracy. We make no ordinary sacrifice, but we make it gladly and willingly with our eyes lifted to the hills." Many of the African-American soldiers in World War I ended up serving in the support roles that the Army thought them best suited. But in late 1917, they did create two all-black infantry units. The 92nd Infantry Division was sent unprepared into fierce fighting, but fought admirably, if unsuccessfully. The 93rd Infantry Division, which fought as part of France's 4th Army, produced two Medal of Honor recipients, 75 Distinguished Service Crosses, and 527 Croix de Guerre Medals. Despite their heroic fighting, though, the 93rd was discriminated against both by the Army and after they returned home, and they were slandered by the white officers. In December 1918, Du Bois, with the backing of the NAACP, left for France for three months to gather the stories of the black soldiers. While there, he also organized a Pan-African Congress during the Paris Peace Talks. After returning to the United States, Du Bois asked veterans to send him any materials they had that he could use to tell the story of the black soldiers. The veterans responded, sending him military records, letters, and diaries. Du Bois spent the next few decades trying and failing to tell the story of black soldiers in World War I. In the end, he wrote 800-some pages, constituting 21 chapters, of a book he called The Black Man and the Wounded World, drawing on the vast archive he had acquired. Over time, Du Bois realized his mistake in publishing Close Ranks. Writing in 1940, quote, I felt for a moment during the war that I could be without reservation a patriotic American. I am less sure now than then of the soundness of this war attitude. Unquote. In the end, despite his prolific writing and speaking about the war and many other topics, Du Bois couldn't bring together a coherent narrative to make sense of the Great War and of the place of black soldiers in it. He never published The Black Man and the Wounded World. On August 27, 1963, at the age of 95, and as the author of 21 published books, W.E.B. Du Bois died in Ghana, where he had lived for the last few years of his life as a citizen of that country, and where he is now buried. Joining me now to discuss Du Bois and his relationship with World War I is Dr. Chad L. Williams, 
the Samuel J. and Augusta Specter Professor of History and African and African American Studies at Brandeis University, and the author of The Wounded World, W.E.B. Du Bois and the First World War. Hello, Mary. Hello, Jerry. Yep, yep, this is me. Just landed at the pier and found the telephone. We've been parted for a year. Thank God at last I'm home. Haven't time to talk a lot, though I'm feeling mighty gay. Little sweet forget-me-not, I've only time to say. All of no man's land is ours, Now I have come back home to you, honey true. Wedding bells in June, all will tell by the June, that victory is won, the war is over, the whole wide world is a region over. Hi, Professor Williams, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yes, I am uh, quite excited to talk to you about this book that you've written. I want to start, you talk a little bit in your acknowledgments about how you first got into this story, but I, I wonder if you could talk to me a little bit about way back 23 years ago when you first started, first encountered the the research that would become this book. Wow, 23 years. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I remember it very vividly. I was doing research for my dissertation, which would become my first book, Torchbearers of Democracy. And it was at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, uh, looking at the papers of W.B. Du Bois, uh, which are archived there. And I'd seen a reference in the Finding Aid to Du Bois World War I materials. Uh, didn't know what it was. There was no description. So I quite honestly didn't expect much. I go to the library and the archivist gives me six microfilm reels. So at this point, I'm really excited and really intrigued. Uh, so I load the first reel and kind of discover this unfinished and unpublished manuscript by W.P. Du Bois on the Black experience in World War One. It turned out to be over 800 pages, worked on it for over 20 years, titled it The Black Man and the Wounded World. It would have been one of his most significant works of history. Um, and it was never completed. And to my astonishment, no other historian had talked about it. So really from that moment, I was, um, dare I say, obsessed with, with telling this story, with learning more about this uh, remarkable book uh, that he spent so much time working on, but also trying to understand uh, Du Bois's relationship to World War One, why it mattered uh, to him, and ultimately why World War One mattered to the broader struggle for Black freedom and democracy in the 20th century. So your first book was about, as you mentioned, Black soldiers in World War One. Could you talk a little bit about what that experience was like for Black soldiers? What, what did that look like during World War One? So approximately 380,000 African-American soldiers served in the United States Army uh, in the First World War. Uh, the Army was completely segregated. Um, 200,000 Black soldiers served overseas in France. The vast majority of black troops served as laborers in the services of supply, doing all the ugly, unglamorous um, work of the war, loading and load, unloading ships, digging ditches, laying railroad tracks, burying dead bodies. Uh, that was how the military envisioned kind of the quote unquote natural role or natural place of black men 
in the army, uh, but there were two black combat uh, divisions um, and there were also black officers uh, as well. So even though the army was completely segregated, white supremacy and institutionalized racism was an everyday fact of life for black soldiers uh, in the army, there were still tremendous moments of heroism. Uh, and that's why W.B. Du Bois wanted to write this history to demonstrate that in spite of the uh, really horrific racism of the United States um, Army transported from the United States uh, to France, Black soldiers and Black people more broadly throughout the entire African diaspora played a significant part in the history of the war and ultimately were instrumental in the Allied victory. Yeah. So early on in the war, Du Bois is the editor of The Crisis, and he writes this essay, uh, this column that, you know, would haunt him, as you say, the rest of his life, close ranks. Could you talk a little bit about that and sort of what, what his feeling was at that moment that, that led him to write that? Yeah, I think first, I mean, to take a, a little step back, it's important to really understand why Du Bois supported the First World War in the first place. Du Bois was a pacifist, at least in, in theory, he was against war. But he saw the war as an opportunity for African-Americans to stake claim to their citizenship as American citizens, but also expand uh, democracy on a national scale and on a global scale throughout the entire um, African diaspora uh, as well. Uh, he had deep reverence for the Black military tradition going back to the American Revolution, uh, certainly through uh, the Civil War. So he felt that the Great War, as it was being uh, characterized at the time, would be a similar moment for African Americans to expand freedom and democracy for themselves, but also to reconcile the double consciousness that he famously talks about in his book, The Souls of Black Folk, this sense of two-ness that Black people experience of being Black and being American um, at the same time and trying to reconcile those two warring ideals as he uh, described them. He felt World War I was going to be a pivotal moment uh, in that struggle for, for African-American uh, identity. Um, and he encourages African-Americans to support their country, to support uh, the war. And this is why he ultimately writes uh, probably the most controversial editorial of his career in the July 1918 issue of the crisis, Close Ranks. He encourages uh, African-Americans to set aside their special grievances um, and close ranks with their fellow white Americans and the allies that are fighting for democracy. Um, and he was heavily criticized for it. Uh, it was an editorial a decision that, as you said, ultimately would, would haunt him uh, for uh, the rest of his life. And he tried to make sense of uh, this uh, really conflicted moment by writing the history of the war and trying to make, make sense of it um, as only he could. One of the things that's so interesting about Du Bois is that he is going to all these different places, both around the United States, but really around the globe in his career, and is shifting his worldview, incorporating things that he's getting from these different places. He had, before the war, been in Germany as a student, and then he goes after the war to France, you know, and he, he's looking at all these different places. Could you talk a little bit about that and how his uh, his global travels really influenced the way he saw everything, but you know, especially reflected on his views on World War One. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. Du Bois was truly a, a global citizen, a citizen of the world, as he later characterized uh, himself. Uh, he was also a global thinker uh, as well. Um, his time in Germany as a graduate student was very influential in shaping his ideas, his his personality, uh, his his tastes uh, in in literature, music, uh, a whole host of, of of other areas. He spent time, uh, as I write about in my book, uh, in France immediately after the armistice uh, during the peace conference. Uh, he's meeting with black soldiers and officers literally on the front lines along the western front in in the camps so he wanted to experience uh the world uh, he later travels to other parts of europe uh, russia germany again uh, in 1936 <laughs> as i write about in the book uh, very controversially um he eventually visits africa as well so all of these different global experiences shape his ideas about what he described as the problem of the 20th century, the problem of the color line, um, and also inform his ideas about the First World War uh, itself, which he ultimately comes to see as a global tragedy, right? He titles his book, The Black Man and the Wounded World, and he's trying to make sense of just what the war meant for the entire world and just how it was wounded um, in terms of the violence, in terms of white supremacy, in terms of empire and economic um, exploitation, really wanted to make sense of just what type of world the Great War created. So Du Bois is described as both a historian and a sociologist in various times, various places. And he, uh, of course, was trained his PhD is in history. And so it's so striking that he decides that he's going to write the the history of this war immediately after. You know, that's that's not something at least nowadays that you very often see historians do. Could you talk a little bit about that 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 tension and you know his his training, what he's trying to do, and and how difficult it is to look at something to write about something in the immediate aftermath. Yeah, the historians and sociologists are always in a tug of war over <laughs> claiming Du Bois. Um, but in, in some ways, it's a it's a kind of false argument because the way that Du Bois approached history as well as sociology were so intertwined. Uh, he really viewed the two as as interconnected and shaped uh, his his approach to both sociology and and history. So he didn't really make that that clear uh, distinction. It was really reflective of the moment in which he was trained, uh, in which history was approached as a social science uh, and kind of the rigorous uh, collection and uh, articulation of, of factual um, evidence. So this is what he initially envisioned in writing the history of uh, Black people in the war. In some ways, when he goes to France, uh, immediately after the armistice, he's conducting sociological field work, kind of ethnographic uh, research, if you will, and talking directly with black soldiers and veterans and getting their stories, collecting their, their documents, uh, which he continues to do um, once he returns back uh, to the United States. But without question, he faced an incredible challenge about writing about a subject matter that was still very much the present uh, and that he was very much a part of. Um, du Bois uh, was not able, as I argue uh, in my book, to have the type of historical distance um, that he did from other subject matters that he wrote about, like the Civil War and Reconstruction era, that he did with the First World War. Um, and ultimately, as I argue, that close proximity 
to the history of the war and his very close personal and conflicted relationships to it prevented him from being able to complete uh, his his massive book. And the the personal relationships with the veterans of the war seems to also be so causes him a lot of guilt along the way as he's not able to finish this book. Could you talk a little bit about that, about his his connections? The the soldiers really entrusted him with a lot of uh, their stories, their information, their documentation from the war. Yeah. When I initially started writing the book, I really wanted to make the story about them uh, because they were so committed, uh, so invested in trying to tell their story and using Du Bois as the vehicle to tell their story. Um, but ultimately, the story is is about Du Bois and his relationship with many um, of these men uh, who he formed very close personal bonds to, one of whom, Adam Patterson, who I talk about extensively in the book, was initially going to be one of his, his co-authors. Um, and they believed uh, that Du Bois was the ideal person to, to write the history of the war and to tell their story accurately and uh, without any sugarcoating uh, as well. And Du Bois internalized that. He took that obligation uh, very seriously. And ultimately, that's one of the many tragedies of the story that I tell, that Du Bois was not able uh, to finish uh, the book and was also very selfish, uh, very egotistical in holding on to their materials. Uh, refusing to return them, believing that they were best suited in his uh, hands, uh, and ultimately their their history uh, would be would be left for for someone else uh, to tell. Um, and that's ultimately what I what I try and do uh, in my book. Yeah, yeah. So you were just talking about uh, that that he's selfish in, in a way in the in several moments in in telling or trying to write this book. You talk a little bit at the end about how easy it is with Du Bois to slip into hagiography. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, about the the difficulty of taking this such an important, amazing figure and and writing about essentially his biggest failure. Yeah, I was very hesitant to, to, to be perfectly honest uh, with you. Uh, du Bois is such a monumental figure, such a revered figure in uh, Black Studies uh, in particular. And it was uh, a daunting uh, endeavor uh, to, to take on. Uh, but I felt a sense of obligation to the story, uh, but also to understand Du Bois in all of his uh, complexity. Uh, certainly, we should uh, revere him for his genius, for all of his contributions uh, that he made but also keeping in sight his fundamental humanity uh, and using his uh, really long, complicated relationship with the history of the First World War and ultimately his failed book was an opportunity to explore uh, Du Bois in all of his genius uh, as well as in all of his flaws and to think about him in terms of failure, right? That's something that we really do not associate with, with Du Bois in, in any way, shape, or, or form. But I found that to be incredibly generative. Um, and to think about the ways in which Du Bois reckoned with failure, the failure of, of World War I itself, uh, his failure to complete uh, his book, but ultimately how that failure shaped him, uh, allowed him to evolve uh, and radicalized him uh, in in many ways, right? How he goes from supporting World War One and encouraging Black people to close ranks in 1918 
Um, by the 1950s, he's a radical peace activist, and the federal government is ready to put him in jail for his uh, anti-war activity. So it's really remarkable evolution, a way to understand Du Bois in the full scope and scale um, of his life, uh, but also, as I said, in, in all of its uh, complexity and all of his, his uh, fundamental humanity as well. It's interesting to see him later as he's reflecting on the Close Ranks essay, say very starkly, I was wrong. And that that's such a an unusual thing, I think, for, for people to be willing to say. And it's so it feels so important to understanding him and his journey. Absolutely. And Du Bois was someone who very rarely admitted that he was wrong. <laughs> As I say, he had a monumental ego. Uh he would find excuse after excuse uh to to not admit failure, to not admit that he was wrong. So to find multiple um, moments uh, in his life where he's reflecting on the war, the decisions that he made, and admitting that he was wrong, admitting his his shame, his guilt. Um, it's just so striking to hear Du Bois use that type of language to describe uh, himself and really spoke to just what an incredible um, incredibly important moment uh, World War I was uh, for him. What a traumatic moment, what a wounding moment uh, it was for Du Bois uh, in his, his life uh, and how it ultimately shaped him uh, in the subsequent decades. This is also, of course, uh, a story of how difficult research is, of how expensive research is to do. And time after time after time, he's trying to get funding for this project, which he sees as central and important, and funding agencies just don't want to fund him. Could you talk a little bit about that and how important that is for the, the stories that we have in the world are, you know, in, in large part dependent on people being willing to fund those stories? Yeah, and I really uh, credit David Levering Lewis, uh, Du Bois's biographer, for encouraging me to really think about the relationship between Du Bois and other Black scholars and white philanthropy. Uh, many of the uh, works that uh, Du Bois and other Black scholars produced were dependent on, on white support, um, particularly uh, foundation and philanthropic support. Um, so Du Bois um, not receiving the uh, financial support that he believed he needed to complete uh, his history of the war was really reflective of the challenges that that black scholars uh, faced and quite frankly the challenges that black scholars continue uh, to face uh, today uh, in finding adequate support for our work as well as getting foundations philanthropies organizations to understand the type of work uh, that we're doing uh, du bois believed that black people needed to be at the center of the work that he was producing uh, as historical actors. And in the context of the times in the 1920s, 30s, uh, and 40s, that was an incredibly radical proposition to make and something that most white philanthropies were very uh, hesitant to uh, support. So he did uh, struggle to get financial uh, support. But ultimately, it was, as I argue in my book, uh, Du Bois's own decisions, which prevented him from completing the book. Um, he did receive some uh, financial support that he decided to focus on on other endeavors. Uh, so I really kind of chronicle and explore the the multitude of choices Du Bois uh, made um, over the years, uh, how there were many factors that were at play uh, in him trying to write and ultimately not being able to finish uh, his book. Uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it was Du Bois himself, <laughs> which was the, the biggest challenge. 
Could you reflect a little bit on this? It's such a meta project, right? Like you spending a long time writing a long book about someone who's trying to write a, <laughs> spending a long time trying to write what would have been a really, really long book if he had finished it. Could you just reflect on that a little bit? And, you know, did, were there times that you wondered if you would fall into the, the same trap that he did and, and what, how that, what that made you reflect on yourself as a researcher, as a writer? There were, there were many moments where I thought <laughs> I might end up like Deboys and, and not finish uh, my book. I mean, in, in, in many ways, it is an unconventional book. I'm, I'm, I wrote a book about someone writing a book, <laughs> um, um, but I, I really wanted to think about the larger story uh, w- within that. You know, I could have wrote a kind of very traditional, I guess, intellectual history, um, but the story w- was much more more broad uh, than that. And it, it's, it, it was a challenge. It was a challenge to think about how I wanted to, to structure the book, uh, the type of audience uh, that I wanted the book uh, to, to have. Uh, but ultimately, that was a struggle that was that was worthwhile. Um, and I believe that the amount of time that it took to, you know, ponder uh, over the book uh, in my mind, to to think about the structure of it, to think about the writing of it, to uh, to polish it, uh, to to make it uh, readable and accessible was was ultimately uh, worthwhile. And Du Bois was certainly in the back of my mind <laughs> as I was. Uh, you know, finishing uh, the book and, and thinking about, you know, what just what type of book I wanted this to be. Could you talk a little bit about the the sources you were able to use? Because there's there's such a wealth of uh, material that you're able to put into this book. So what what are the the various places, sources that, that you were able to draw on? My main body of research is Du Bois's manuscript and his own research uh, materials. Uh, as I said, the manuscript that he ultimately never finished, over 800 pages long, um, just an incredible uh, document. Some of the chapters complete, uh, some incomplete, uh, but just uh, rich with uh, information and insight about uh, Du Bois and all the research materials that he collected um, over the years, uh, military documents, diaries, letters from soldiers, photographs. It's just really an unrivaled um, archive, which is uh, physically located at Fisk University in their uh, Library Special uh, Collections Department. I also made use of the W.B. Du Bois papers um, at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, which are very conveniently digitized now, uh, which made my research uh, much easier. Um, Also looking at a number of other uh, documents related to the Black experience uh, in the war. Uh, so I wanted to, to first and foremost uh, make full use of Du Bois's own materials to really center his voice as well, uh, but then to supplement that with other uh, archival uh, materials, both primary and, and secondary sources. Well, there's uh, a lot more we could go into, but I want people to read this book. So can you tell people how they can get a copy of the book? Uh, the book should be available uh, at your local bookstore or wherever uh, books are, are sold. Obviously, um, online, Amazon. Please uh, encourage you to support your your local independent bookstore. Uh, so, uh, bookshop.org. So, yeah. So it's it's available wherever wherever books are are sold. Uh, and it's an incredible read. I, I really enjoyed it, and I, I feel like I. I got such a, a more complete picture of Du Bois. So I, I really appreciated that. Is there anything else you wanted to make sure we talk about? I, I think this is such a uh, important story in terms of our understanding of Du Bois. 
uh, but also understanding and and reckoning with just the the meaning of race and and democracy today. Uh, the way the legacies um, of uh, the war continue uh, to resonate uh, today. How many of the same struggles that Du Bois was engaged uh, in and committed to addressing uh, in his life are still with us uh, today. Um, and I believe this this story and and my book uh, really allows us to to think about the wounded world and what type of world uh, the war created um, and the type of world that we are still living in today. Yeah, I think it's uh, there's been a a theme of several episodes that I've done of you know Frederick Douglass telling black soldiers in Civil War you know you should fight and then you'll be seen as you know full full citizens of the country then you know again in, in World War One and and seeing this it, it it's really a, a somewhat disappointing picture of what the country is now that that we're you know still fighting so many of the same fights still struggling in so many of the same ways right and that tension over over loyalty and patriotism and, and citizenship is still uh, very much an issue today you know what does it mean for black people and black soldiers in particular to fight for their their country to support a country that doesn't always support you to be loyal to a country uh, that is not always loyal to you that does not respect your citizenship and oftentimes uh, your very humanity. Uh, those are issues that Black people are still uh, wrestling with. Yeah. Professor Williams, thank you so much for speaking with me. It's a tremendous book, and I, I'm really thrilled to have been able to speak with you about it. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Unsung History. Please subscribe to Unsung History on your favorite podcasting app. You can find the sources used for this episode in a full episode transcript at unsunghistorypodcast.com. To the best of our knowledge, all audio and images used by Unsung History are in the public domain or are used with permission. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram at unsung underscore underscore history or on Facebook at Unsung History Podcast. To contact us with questions, corrections, praise, or episode suggestions, please email kelly at unsunghistorypodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and tell everyone you know. Bye! M-S-W.